If you will, remain standing for the reading of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. For context, I'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Um, Verses 1 through 16 as we look at God our judge. God our judge. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. May the Lord have his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So as we've been walking through Romans verse by verse for a while now, there's something that needs to be said and needs to be said over and over and over again, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is humanity's only righteousness. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is humanity's only righteousness. But remember, in Romans chapter 2, Paul is still discussing God's wrath. He's still talking about God's wrath here in Romans 2. We still have not reached the good news of Christ. He is building up to the undeniable truth that there is no one who is righteous except Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, salvation is based upon the work of Christ. It is not based upon our works. Salvation is based upon the work of Christ. It is not based upon our works. No one is good. Without faith in Christ, you cannot please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Your works, they don't build up, and your works do not morph into righteousness. You need Jesus. Salvation is based upon the work of Christ. It is not our works. Paul penned this epistle to the saints in Rome, to a people who were surrounded by a wicked culture. But this group of saints who received this letter... 
and they were reading it, included lost souls, lost Jews, and lost Greeks. Now, their culture was a culture that was extremely similar to ours. They lived for self, doing what is right in their own eyes. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They served creatures, suppressors of the truth, not honoring the Lord, not giving thanks to the Lord, living with futile minds. We are surrounded by those who have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And all of those of us who are here this morning who have been born again, who have the work of Christ and has righteousness, the righteousness of Christ credited to our account, we also stray from obedience and we forget our Savior. But what God has granted to us can never depart, for we are sealed for the day of redemption. If you look with me at Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, these famous words Paul penned, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the answer for the wickedness around us, as Blake declared last week, is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. There is nothing else that is supplied by the power of God that brings about salvation except the gospel. The answer for our own evil is Christ. The answer for our own present struggles is Christ. So as we continue this morning in the study of God's righteous and just wrath, let us remember that we are not to be like this world. This world is not the answer. This world cannot help us. Entertainment and politics are not the answer. It's sad in a church setting this has to be said, but it's not the answer. Self-help, name it and claim it, that's not the answer. Comfort, conferences, blogs, books, and podcasts, they're not the answer. Ignoring your sin and throwing up your arms is not the answer. Neglecting to gather together with a local body to worship the Lord. The neglect of using your gifts that God has given you is not the answer. The Southern Baptist Convention, your skin color, human philosophy, and your endless strategies, those are also not the answer. The Father did not send any of these things to save sinners. The Father sent His only Son, Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Jesus Christ is our only righteousness. And if you don't have a relationship with Him, your sins are not covered before a holy and mighty God who knows all things. We need to be reminded of this. The words of Paul that he wrote to the church in Ephesus should stay forever fixed in our hearts. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said this, Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. So he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What you don't see in there is what the majority of the world and the majority of churches are holding to is the answer. That's not what Paul says. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, descended and he ascended. So God came to earth, he laid down his life, he rose from the dead, and he ascended back into heaven. By the way, Christ is still working. He intercedes on behalf of his children. So God came to this earth, he's laid down his life. Christ has also given gifts to his children, and we are to finish the mission of spreading the good news as we grow up by his holy word, as we grow up by his grace, and as we grow up in his church using our gifts. So we have the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, the Spirit leads us into all truth, we have the sacred and holy Bible, and we have been given gifts. So the church has been given gifts, and we are to gather together, use these gifts, and grow up. So the answer is Christ. And the answer is what Christ has given for us to grow up and to mature and to please the Lord. So Jesus is the answer not only for salvation, but for sanctification as well as for sinners. So Jesus is the answer for God's wrath. We rise up in this life by going to Jesus Christ. But here in Romans 2, Paul is still talking about wrath. The bad news comes first, which our culture needs to understand. The bad news comes first. Sinner and saint this morning, I hope your heart fully grasps the urgency of the verses that we're going to look at today. Children and youth, I hope that you will stay awake and you will listen as if you're going to have an exam at the end of the service. Please, we're talking about the state of your soul. Listen to what God has to say. And parents, you're responsible in the caring of the soul of your children. Listen as if you're going to take what you hear and feed it to them later. To the elderly, you are closer now to standing before the Lord than you ever have been. The urgency is concerning your soul and the souls of those who are around you. So in these early chapters of Romans, Paul is building up the depravity of the human race, and he's doing it with great precision and great clarity. Many people have said Romans is amazing, the best letter ever. So backtrack with me for a little bit. Look at Romans 1, verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness to men. 
Romans 1.21, his wrath is against those who do not honor him and do not give thanks to him. Verse 23, his wrath is against those who exchange the glory of the immortal God for false images. Verse 25, his wrath is upon those who exchange the truth about God for a lie and serve the creature rather than him. Verse 26, God's wrath is upon those who are involved in dishonorable passions going against his good and perfect law. Verse 28, his wrath is on those who don't acknowledge him. Verses 29 through 31, it says his wrath is upon all manner of unrighteousness. And so if you feel like you haven't been included yet, look at verses 29 through 31. He begins with evil. His wrath is on all evil. That's depravity and wickedness. Therefore, we all have to raise our hand. Covetousness. His wrath is on all who are greedy. Malice. His wrath is on bad character. His, his wrath is on the depravity of heart as well as the depravity of life that does not please the Lord. Then he goes on to say envy. He says, you are discontent, always wanting and always needing more. His wrath is on that. Deceit. If you misrepresent the truth, his wrath is on that. Maliciousness. Wanting to harm another for the better of self, his wrath is on that. Gossips, that's secret slanderers who desire to put others down. That means you don't do it in front of them. You, you wait till they turn away and they walk away and you talk behind their back. You do it in secret. His wrath's on that. Slanderers, that's evil speakers. And they do so for their own pride so they can build themselves up. God's wrath is on that. Haters of God. That it's individuals having the knowledge of him and hating him. And maybe you're saying, well, that doesn't include everybody. Absolutely it does. Romans 1, you're all without excuse. General revelation. You either love God or you're a hater of God. There is no middle ground. Insolent. Those are people who are uplifted with pride. His wrath is on the prideful. Those who are haughty. Those who are arrogant, showing oneself above the others, putting them above the others. His wrath is on that. Those who are boastful, an empty pretender is what that is. His wrath is on that because the only one who is worthy of boasting upon is the Lord. Inventors of evil, those are contrivers of those. How can we suppress the truth today? What can I contrive? What can I stir up to show that I am going to suppress the truth to uplift the lie. Those who are disobedient to parents, children, this is where your ears perk up. God's wrath is on you because you disobey your parents. Those who are foolish, without understanding, God's wrath is on you. The faithless, you are a covenant breaker. God's wrath is on you. The heartless, that means you are unloving. His wrath is on you. The ruthless, those are the unmerciful. God's wrath is on you. Romans 1 covers it all. Romans 1 instructs us and informs us all, whether you are Jew or Greek, you are all under God's wrath. It instructs us that we are without excuse because the knowledge of creation, general revelation, and we are without excuse because of our sinful behavior. 
But Paul doesn't stop there. Romans 2. All are without excuse at divine judgment. Romans 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You see, so much talking today, so much preaching today, so much discipleship today, so much evangelism today. We talk about all the good things that Christ is, but we fail to mention sin. We fail to mention the truth. And this is one thing that I have a great fear of, that children and youth don't understand, that you will come to a point where you will stand alone before God. You will come to a point in which your day will be over and you will stand before a holy God and you will give an account for your life. You and you alone and nobody else is going to be there. Your mom won't be there. Your dad won't be there. This church won't be there. Pastors will not be there. Individuals who have poured upon you won't be there. And you will not be able to speak and tell him what you think needs to happen. We forget this. Romans 1 informs us of everything that we need to know, that we are wretched sinners. And maybe we're saying, I get tired of hearing that. No, no, you don't, especially if you're saved. You hear that I am a wretched sinner, but Christ has done it all. You don't get tired of hearing the gospel. Romans 2 says you're all without excuse. All of us have practiced lawlessness. Therefore, all of us are condemned. That means no one will escape the judgment of God. And this is the warning, especially for you young children and youth, and for the elderly who are about to meet the Lord. Check yourself. Romans 2, 4-5. through 5, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Blake hammered it home last week. The fact that you have health this morning and that you're alive and you're sitting in this, that's God's kindness towards you. The fact that people have been scattered from their country because of persecution and yet they're still alive, that's God's kindness. We are not to presume upon God's kindness. His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But it says, but because of your hard and impotent hearts, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, God's righteous judgment is going to take place. God's kindness towards you, God's forbearance towards you. His forbearance is his restraint. And getting more specific, his forbearance is his tolerance of you. God tolerates you. God's patience towards you. These things are meant to lead you to him in repentance. His kindness, his restraint and patience are meant for you to go to him and to find life, to love him and not rebel against him. There is a day of judgment coming. So hold your spot in Romans 2 and turn with me to Romans 3, verse 21. Now context is important. We have not reached Romans 3, 21 yet. And it'll be a while. Look at 3, 21. But now, 
the righteousness of God had been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness in the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. But we haven't gotten here yet. To summarize what we looked at so far from Romans 1 to Romans 2 verse 5, we are under God's wrath and there is a day of judgment coming and we will all stand before God and be judged. As Blake said last week, that's a loving thing that we can communicate. So Romans 2 verse 6. He, God, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So the layers keep coming. Paul keeps building. He's a master builder. We are under God's wrath. He will judge us. And now we learn about the structure, the substance, the reward, and the span of the reward. And we're going to look at all these this morning. The structure, the substance, the reward, and the span of the reward. So let's look at the structure of the judgment. Romans 2, 9 through 11 are important as to the structure of the judgment. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. So tribulation, distress, wrath, and fury is for both Jews and Greeks. He says glory, honor, peace, and eternal life are also for Jews and Greeks. So Paul is a master builder here. Jews and Greeks, Jews and Greeks. Three times in Romans, Paul utters the words, Jew first and also the Greek. We find it in Romans 1, verse 16, Romans 2, verse 9, and Romans 2, verse 10. So the structure of judgment is God will include Jews and Greeks at this judgment. And then in Romans 2, verse 11, he says, For God shows no partiality. So Paul teaches this again and again, no partiality or no distinction. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Romans 10 verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So Paul uses the word every and every one 14 times in this letter. He uses the word all 66 times. 66 times he says, 
He says there is no partiality. He says there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The structure of the judgment of God is Jews and Greeks. So now let's look at the substance of the judgment. Romans 2, verse 6. He, God, will render to each one according to his works. So in Romans 1, Paul said that all are under God's wrath. If all are under God's wrath, if we all do evil and God is going to reward us based upon our works and our deeds, we are all in big trouble. Right? He says, hey, you're all under God's wrath. None of you have done what you should have done. If we're all under God's wrath, if we've all done evil, and now he's talking about works and we're going to be judged according to our works, we're all in big trouble. You see, one is saved by faith, but as Robert Mounts declares, God judges the reality of our faith when he says God will render to each one according to his works. It sounds like James 2, verse 17. Faith without works is dead. If we lack faith in Christ, we have no good works. We just have God's wrath. If we lack faith in Christ, we have no good works. We just have God's wrath. We have, not looked at the, we have now looked at the structure. We have looked at the substance of the judgment. Let's look at the reward. The fact that you and I will stand before God and he will render or reward you according to your works or deeds. There is a day coming in which we will all stand before the Lord and we will be judged. And in that judgment, we will all be rewarded. At God's judgment, you will receive one of two rewards. There's only two rewards. That's it. And you're only going to get one. Romans 2, verse 7, and Romans 2, verse 10. Well, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek so imagine though this letter is being read for the first time in Rome and these words are uttered. I wonder if someone in the audience said, this describes none of us. So to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he's going to give eternal life, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. I wonder if at this point they're sitting in and they've listened to this and they said, but none of us have done good. Is our reward going to be evil? How do we get the reward that you're talking about? Reward 2. Romans 2, verse 8 and 9. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. I wonder if someone said, well, that's, that's all of us. We've messed up. That's what our reward is. That's what we have to look forward to. There's no problem here. This is where we all fit. In today's culture, the majority believe that they are all good. This is what they're taught. Society teaches that over and over again on t-shirts. You have follow your heart, where the Bible says the heart is wicked above all things. Many churches teach and they ignore sin. 
They won't talk about it. They won't talk about repentance. And they will embrace easy believism. Many pastors, evangelists, and camp speakers, they, have, they teach that one's salvation is secure if they have repeated a prayer and walked the aisle. There are only two rewards, and we need to know which one we are getting. Because we're not talking about a reward that is temporary. That's when you're talking about the span of the reward. How long is this reward? I'm glad you asked. The span of the reward is for all of eternity. Your reward is forever. Heaven is forever. Hell is forever. You will either get eternal life or you will get eternal wrath. This is difficult for us to understand. Because everything in this life that we have grown accustomed to, everything is fading and ending. Last seven years, I've seen things in my life fade and end. Especially when you stand before a mirror. Things change. You start to ask questions. You start to realize it's time to go shopping. Things change. I call those all little graces that God gives to us to let us know this place is not your home. There is a judgment coming. Prepare yourself. Our reward is forever. But the judgment of God, the span of the reward is forever. There is no end. Second Thessalonians 1.9, write that down. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Revelation 14, verses 9-11, through another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur and the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. So you have something that you're talking about where eternal judgment is forever. There is no rest, day or night. It is ongoing, 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 not ending. In our mind, we we don't grasp that because if we honestly grasp that as God's children, this would spur us on more and more to not only preach the gospel to ourselves, it would spur us on more and more to talk about the gospel in every setting. As an atheist once declared, if we truly believed in heaven and we truly believed in hell, how can we not talk about the good news of Jesus? Eternal life with Christ in heaven is forever. Or the wrath and the fury of God is yours in hell forever. And right now, we are all in the process of dying. Time is not on your side. Your life and my life is a mist that will soon fade away. Where are you headed? Because these two rewards are heaven and hell, and they are forever fixed. 
The trail that you are presently traveling is either foolish or faithful. It's either wide or it's narrow. It's either wicked or it's wise. That trail will come to an end. And at that end, you alone will face God. I remember in high school when I graduated and went off to college and I started coming back my first few years um, I began to have a growing and intense uneasiness about individuals who I knew in high school who I did not share the gospel with, whom I perceived as that was my responsibility to share the gospel with. And I said, you know what? I am not going to carry this the rest of my life. I'm going to find them. So I did. I began to meet with them one-on-one, buying their lunch and talking to them about the Lord. If we truly perceived that this life is but a mist, it is but a vapor. We're here one second and we're gone the next. And if we truly say that we love the Lord and we love the gospel and we love talking about him and we love Christ and he is everything and we truly believe that there is a judgment coming and that all of our trails are heading to the same place where you stand before the Lord, you're going to be judged and God's going to say, come enter in. Or he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That means there must be a life change in our life today. That's what that means. When you face God, there will be no more time to do anything. In evangelism situations, this is what I hear most often. When I get to the Lord, I will talk to him, I will communicate, I will argue my way in. You won't have time to talk to the Lord. You won't have time to plead for mercy. You won't have time to change God's mind. He will reward you a forever location, and you will receive the reward that is due you. It's what you deserve. You're getting that. You either deserve the wrath of God, or the Lord is having grace and mercy upon you because he has redeemed you by the blood of his son. You see, Jew or Greek, it does not matter. Your bloodline does not get you into heaven when you face God at judgment. Listen to the words of Douglas Moo. Paul is insistent that the works of believers are valid in the day of judgment only as the fruit of union with Christ and manifestations of God's grace. So to say it blunt or clear for you to understand, God's righteous judgment will happen and all are guilty without Christ. If hell is our reward, it is because our works were filthy, not pleasing him, because we did not possess the righteousness of Jesus. If heaven is our reward, it is because our works were pleasing to him. The righteousness of Christ was credited to our account. His work covered our life, and we live to the praise of his glory by his grace. Romans 2, verse 12. It says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. We hear so much talking about the gospel, so much today, that you also forget in Romans, and you forget the law. This is what you need to understand. If you're a young person or an old person or whatever age you are, the law is God's gracious love. I mean, that's really what Paul said. Paul said, if I did not have the law, 
I would have not known that I was a sinner. So the law is so loving. A holy God gave it to us so that we would know we needed him. Jew or Gentile, it does not matter. We are all guilty. All have sinned. But look what Scripture says. It's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. Most of us, we think, hey, I've been in church my whole life. I've heard sermon after sermon, maybe 45 sermons in the past year. I've heard it. That will not get you into heaven. I know what the law is. I memorize it. That, that won't get you into heaven either. Hearing the law will not get you into heaven. The Jews heard the law over and over and over and over again. And yet, what do you find here? What is Paul saying? It's for Jew or Greek. Like us, we have heard the law and the gospel over and over and over again. Hearing is not the answer. Scripture says it's the doers of the law who are justified and able to stand before, the, before God. The problem is there are no doers of the law. So who do we need? Who is the one who has fully kept the law? We need Christ. He kept it perfectly. There was no deceit. There was no sin. They didn't have anything they could throw at him. You see, the law of God is written on every heart. The Ten Commandments are written on your heart, and you have not kept them. You have served false gods. I have served false gods. You have a heart that is an idol factory. I have a heart that is an idol factory. You have lied. I have lied. You have disobeyed your parents. I have disobeyed my parents. And in your heart, you have committed adultery just like me. You are without excuse. We need one who has kept the law. Jesus is the one who kept the law. Your conscience is your witness. Don't violate your conscience with an excuse. You are guilty. Because you get to verse 16. It says, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And this is what you need to understand. Because if we don't think about God's judgment very much, if we don't think about the fact that we're going to stand before God very much, this is what you need to understand. If you don't think about the judgment, remember this. God knows all your secrets. Every single one of them. He knows everything that your spouse doesn't know. He knows everything that your best friends don't know. He knows everything that you have done for your entire life. He knows everything about the here and the now. He knows everything about the future. He knows everything that you're going to do. And yet, he freely has given us his word to know him and to worship him. And yet, he has freely told us you are commanded everywhere to repent of your sins and to put your faith, your hope, and your trust in Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the one who kept the law. As we studied in Sunday school, he's the greater Adam. He has done it fully. God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We all have secrets. 
just like the Pharisees, but God knows them. Jesus called them out. He will also call you out. You will stand before him and he will call out what you thought was secret. Our hearts are not clean. We need Christ. The spotless Lamb of God who was crucified for sinners. We need him. Christ who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There is a way to heaven and Christ is the way. Paul will soon arrive to the good news that we heard in Romans 3, but we're not there yet. But I don't want you to be left in Romans 2. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. If you've heard the truth today, if God has been gracious and given you ears to hear, I encourage you, turn from your sins and turn towards Christ because outside of Christ, you have not done anything good. Nothing. I don't care if you've given away all that you had. You didn't have faith in God, therefore it's all worthless. Outside of Christ, you have only sinned. Outside of Christ, you are self-seeking. You need Christ because the judgment of God is coming. There is an urgency here. Paul has been wanting to be with these people, and he has been prevented by the Lord. It hasn't been the right time, but yet he still hands down a letter that he wants them to know, maybe you're going to die before I get there. Please read this. You need Christ. And don't say you don't. Don't lie to yourself. Without Christ, you are spiritually dead. But one day you will physically die and you will stand before the Lord and give an account of your spiritual life. You need Christ. Christ justifies. Christ produces good works in you. He produces holy living. Salvation, it changes your trail in this life. Christ saves. Come to Christ Do not delay. Time is fading. Parents, don't delay in teaching this over and over and over and over to your children. And children, don't delay in talking to your parents about the Lord. And maybe you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Don't delay in making sure of your eternal state. Because you will receive judgment, and at that judgment will be wrath and fury, or forever with our Savior. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I do pray that your word convicted this morning, convicted of righteousness, truth, convicted of judgment. We will all one day. Come before you and give an account. And how blessed we are if we are a child of God. But the Father does not look at us, He looks at righteousness. Christ. It's as if Christ is standing in front of us, He's mine. Father, give us a great urgency to think about the truth that you are coming back. And as your children, we have a job to do. 
Yes, we can rest assured in our salvation. But there are others around us who are destined to darkness. And how will they hear without us telling them? Father, draw the lost to you right now. And they become burdened over their sin and they have conversation after conversation with people this week. Father, for your children, open up our eyes so that we would spend time rejoicing in our Savior, resting in our Savior, but also concerned for the souls whom we are around. Because there is a judgment that is coming. And your wrath, Father, your wrath is true and just and righteous. But your grace and mercy and great love is found in your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.